It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to the show with Mark Allen and Tiffany Cherry on the back of a weekend. We're a number of Aussies in the mix, Marco, and there's some big news for golf in Australia and, uh, and then some sad news as well. But um, let's start with Cam Davis. Impressive performance by him. Yeah, Cam Davis is a very, very, very good player these days. And the only place he's going is the top 50 in the world. And the way that he handled shooting a low score on Sunday is brilliant. You know, you can shoot low scores. I think a lot of good professional golfers understand shooting a 63 on Thursday or Friday. When you shoot 63s on Sunday and you get your nose in front, that is a different mindset and gives you an idea of the talent that this kid has. The way you hold that putt too, you know, you can usually see when someone's jumpy, when, they, when they're holding birdie putts or they're trying to get into the lead and their head comes up or the shoulders are up or, you know, they're, they're almost out of the putt. They just can't wait to see it or maybe their shoulders just aren't loose enough, whatever it might be. Mm. When he held that putt, it just went in the back edge too. He went around the hole a little bit. It didn't matter. His head stays so so still. Mm. And that's one, one of the great things. That, you know, when I look back on Baker Finch, who was the most beautiful putter you know, going through my era, and Greg Norman as well, their heads didn't move. They were, they were so full of confidence that their stroke didn't change from Thursday to Sunday afternoon when they were in the heat of battle. And that's the thing I noticed about Cam Davis, just watching his round. And I went back and, you know, you flick through it. He was up a little bit early. <laughs> so luckily I've got it all on record. And I went back and had a look. He, you know, one, hits the ball a million miles and he's got a great swing. Well done. You know, that's that's an enormous effort in the world of golf to do that stuff. But to be able to control your emotions enough to have the same putting stroke on Thursday to Sunday afternoon, the kid is – his trajectory is – well and truly inside the top 50 in the world. Well, he's 27. He's gone from 94 yeah. to 79 in the world. Uh, it, it's very, very good. Can we talk about just Jordan Spieth for yep, a tick? Go for it. Because the last no. month or so, we've been watching Jordan Spieth do this crazy pre-shot routine. I'm going to do the masterclass on it a little bit later. The pre-shot routine looks so ugly, I just cannot get <laughs> over it. And I'm, I'll put my hand up and I'll... Sorry, you know, Jordan. I'm listening I'm, in. I'm listening. <laughs> uh, you know, send it to him. Everyone that I... All the golf people that I trust, I, I watch them. They're all, you know... His pre-shot is that ugly. I mean, it makes you think that what he has been rehearsing before the shot, um, his swing must have been so out of touch because what he's rehearsing and then what you see when he actually hits the ball, it's totally different. I reckon the first, the first time I saw this was Corey Pavin. Corey Pavin used to have the same sort of swing. He'd do this crazy over-the-top big loop uh, practice swing and then he'd get over the ball and it was just straight up and down like a wheel. It was, it was incredible. Maybe he was listening up. Jordan's doing the same stuff. So in my eyes, I reckon he, he must be getting really stuck or was getting stuck. If you're getting your arms behind your body on the way down at this level, the ball goes left and right. You can't really control it. But I've never, ever, ever seen anybody do what he's doing once he's put his foot down, feet down, where, they, where they're supposed to be. It, it was, well, whatever he's doing, it's... He's laughing all the way to the bank. Well, he's getting there, isn't he? I mean, he's a super talented <laughs> person. I think on the Saturday, he was, uh, for strokes gain putting, he was 72 out of the 72. He, he was last for strokes gain putting. I mean, he chips in all the time. He's been doing that since he was 12 years old. But it is nice to see him when well, he's won 13 tournaments now on the PGA Tour, Australian Opens as well. He's just, just a little bit of reminiscing. When he won the Australian Open and shot eight under, 
that day at the National, that was an impossible, not the National, at the Australian, that was an impossible score. That was the best score that anybody could have ever shot. I think you've just salvaged your beer with John Spieth when uh-huh. he comes out for the President's Cup in 2028. Well, hopefully he's not doing this crazy uh, over-the-top move that, he, that he's been doing. Anyway, hey, great it's news. nice to see him back. President's Cup. Yes, it is. It is really good news. I'm keen to talk to uh, Blake, Blake uh, about, about this a little bit later. Um, unusual that the golf course hasn't been named. I mean, to me, there's only one spot, and that is Royal Melbourne. I mean, if you want people to come from overseas to Victoria, you want it played at Royal well, Melbourne. They did an, a brilliant job. It's very, very job. simple. Um, I, I even think you know the last uh, uh, Presidents Cup we saw. Uh, uh, I reckon even think Kingston Heath. Yeah, the people at Kingston Heath would know that it is impossible to put on what Royal Melbourne put on. And there's a little bit of talk down about uh, Peninsula Kingswood. Peninsula Kingswood is one of the best courses in Australia, both of them, north and south. It'd be a great place. But if we're just talking about fan engagement, um, I, I'm, I'm just not seeing it personally. I mean, come down. You know what should be happening? Come down to Royal Melbourne and watch the President's Cup. Go and play Peninsula Kingswood, and, and you know there are places to stay out there. Come and play Kingston Heath. Come and play Metropolitan Golf Club. Stop on the way down, and you know go play some courses in Queensland, or go to the Australian, uh, yeah. or New South Appetizer, Wales. Yep. Do that sort of yep. stuff. You know, it really advertises. Come down and play some golf, and then come to Royal Melbourne. That's the and watch the club. big guys play. That'd be perfect. Well, PK, we'll talk about that in a moment. But some sad news, of course, as well with the uh, great Jack Newton. Yeah, uh, Jack was a superstar. Um, his wife was an even bigger superstar, if you can believe that. His wife, Jackie, was just incredible. You know, 33 years old, he loses an arm, and Jackie just never left his side. Um, everything that Jack's done for golf in this country will be remembered. He was just that, that side of a guy. He was a chairman of the PGA. He was one of the great commentators we've ever had. I, I still use the term, you're in the mayor's office with, you know, <laughs> and play with somebody who hits it in the right spot. You know, the, so a lot of that will be remembered. Um I think the last, you know, the three years, the family have had a tough time with Jack. Um, and I think we're all very, very happy that he's in a better place now. You know, and it, look, it's sad. He was a warrior. And, you know, to, to lose to Tom Watson at Carnoustie, um, you know, Tom goes on to win nine majors. Jack didn't win any. Um, to, to come second to Seve Bellasteros by about, you know, a handful of shots, maybe two handfuls of shots, um, was incredible. And he showed people of that generation that winning majors was possible. And, you know, I'm not sure which legacy he's going to be remembered for most, but in my eyes, just making the Masters gettable and making a British Open, you know, against someone like Tom Watson gettable for that generation, um, that's probably going to be my memory of Jack yeah. Newton. A great character and a, a great, mm. um, yeah, champion of the game. Can we just talk about Karras really quickly as yes, well? Yes, please. First event, missed the cut yeah. by a little bit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's a huge hurdle, you know. A huge hurdle is getting on that tour, and she did it well. She did it really, really well. The next hurdle is getting on the practice range and walk, looking around and seeing all the big stars on the LPGA tour that she's just been watching on TV for so long. You know, you're going to get the jitters, and it, it doesn't matter. You know, if someone like Justin Rose, remember Justin Rose when he turned professional, he missed about 38 yep. cuts in a row, whatever, whatever craziness it was. He ended up being a number one player in the world and winning majors and all the rest of it. Everybody will adjust at their own levels. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Karis. I think she's going to be a very, very good player, and I can't wait to see her doing well and hopefully holding the trophy up soon. Well, it was great to see her and the domestic two are doing really well back in Australia. All right, now, PK, we mentioned it. There's been an incredible story. A ridiculous story. Just Sunday. Outrageous story. By the name of uh, Ben Murphy, who shot 
57. Unbelievable. Seven under the last seven. Well, we've actually got him on the line. So let's uh, welcome Ben to the show. It's great to have you, Ben. And are you still coming down off the high? Uh, yeah, it still hasn't really sunk in yet, to be honest. So it's kind of just felt like another round, which tended out to be something pretty special. Another round. You started with a birdie and then it was a par. Did you know, could you feel something coming on as he went, as he teed off for the third? No, well, actually, we actually started on the seventh. Ah. So the no. seventh, little par three down the hill. Yep. Um, a pretty good shot there to about a foot and tapped it in for a birdie. And they went and birdied the, birdied the next, the eighth, and then sort of had three pars in a row from there. And I didn't really think much of it, to be honest. But, oh, yeah, just a stock stand another round. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, birdie started the flow and we got through the turn and I said to the boys, I think I'm going all right. Don't. Don't tell me what I am. Yeah. And lucky for them, they didn't tell me what I was, and I had absolutely no idea how low I was um, until we finished. And the boys said, you just shot 57. I'm like, I thought they were lying to me. I'm like, surely not. There's no way. And, um, yeah, it turns out, 57. Yeah, yeah, look, what you're saying there is true. I mean, every young pro has shot something, you know, super low at one stage or another, and you do lose your way. You forget. You actually, one birdie melts in to the next. So I looking at your card, and the card's been circulated around the world. Ben. I mean, it's gone right around the world, this card of yours. So I assumed you started on the first, um, but I'm looking at your finish. Now, if you started on the seventh, then you've still finished eagle, birdie, birdie, birdie to finish. Correct. Now, when did the nerves – I mean, you must have known he was going. He was going you didn't know what score it was. Were there nerves? I mean, you've, you've, you've eagled your, your 15th hole. When did the nerves kick in? Uh, not until I had about a one-foot putt left for birdie on my last hole, and I thought, this is pretty low. It would be my <laughs> lowest round, but I, was, I, didn't know, I didn't know what score it was. So I was just having a good time, okay. just enjoying the day with, with the guys. So it was, it was beautiful weather on a great golf course, and it's not really – it's pretty hard not and, to enjoy it. And Easter to boot. Correct. So, Correct. so tell, tell me this, Ben. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at all the, you know, all the stuff on social media, and they're they're wondering how many feet of birdies did you hold, or did you just stiff it all day? When you look back on the round, was it a putting round, or was it a hitting round, or was it just absolutely everything? I went back and did my stat. I had 22 putts and I had two chip ins, but I reckon the longest putt I hold would have been 12 foot. Wow. Yeah, so I was hitting it hitting it relatively close most of the day. And uh, and Marco just said it's been uh, travelling. It's been around the world. Your your card has uh, ESPN or CNN. Have they been on the on the phone? No, this is actually the first interview that I've done. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, we'll I'll, I'll <laughs> there let the you guys go. know at both ESPN and CNN. I've worked at both of them, so no doubt. Hey, do you know? Have you looked at, at the history of low scores? Have you sort of sat down now over the weekend and over no doubt a couple of drinks because it was Easter and yeah. uh, and checked out who else has has had a pretty impressive round. No, I know fifty five's the best, which I think was sixteen under par. But I don't really, I don't really know much more than that, to be honest. I don't know what the next best is, but well, I think it's probably pretty close. Ben, let's get honest, mate. P- Peninsula Kingswood North is a fair dinkum golf course. I mean, it is a fair dinkum golf course, and you are keeping a card, so I don't care what happens. This, this is the best local round of golf. I've ever, ever, well, ever heard of. So it is ridiculous what you've done. Um, tell, tell, tell me, tell me this. Tell me this. I mean, when you're feeling, when you're in this zone, could you yeah. actually just see the line 
more clear than normal when you put your putter down or when you read? I mean, were you just reading the putt absolutely perfect? Yeah, I guess it was a bit of both, really. Sort of not really thinking about it. Like, I didn't really think about my score at all. It's just going out there and just, I don't know, just trying to hit every shot as good as I possibly could each time. So okay. sort of don't really think about it and, in that and, sense. And, and what about, were there some putts that you didn't think were that good, but you looked up and they just went in? Was it, were there a few of those? Um, I'll have to think back on it now. <laughs> you got to bottle this. Did you, did you <laughs> sit back and think, okay, I was in this zone, this is how I was feeling or thinking, that's what I want to take take forward? Yeah, I was more thinking about the two putts that I should have made that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so what were your playing partners thinking? I mean, it's one thing for you to get in the little zone and you, you, you're telling them. Were they were they the perfect playing partners in this situation? They were. They, were. they, they kept it very low key, which was pretty impressive for them because they they um they obviously knew how I was going, but I didn't. So they uh they kept it very bottom, just went on about as we normally do. And, was was very calm and collected. Now I know Marco mentioned before he doesn't really care, and and nor should we, because as he said, this is a Saturday competition and it's a very tough course. But Raheem Gibson, River Oaks Golf Club in Oklahoma in 2012 shot a 55. Now apparently that was with mates, so who knows? And it was just a round of golf. But Bobby Wyatt, junior champion, so he obviously not shooting off the back tees. 57 in Alabama, and Alex. Ross in 2019 also shot a 57. So there you go. That, you that's go. what Pickle we've company. found in a, a sleuthing of the lower scores. So you are absolutely right up there, if not leading the pack. Beautiful. Pretty cool to be a little bit of part of the history, so tell, that's not. Tell, tell me this. I've heard a story that you're 47 points to win the comp. Um, the next best was actually 37 points in a Saturday comp. So, I mean, everyone plays in the Saturday comp. The tees are on the way back. The pins are in good spots. Did you actually win the comp by 10 or not? I did, yeah, I did win the comp by 10, which was kind of surprising. I was, I was sitting in the clubhouse afterwards, and you just, you just always expect someone with a ludicrously high handicap to come in with a better score than you. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, um, it didn't happen. So, what did you, yeah, uh, won, won the comp. What did you win? And, and did you have to shout the bar? No, I didn't have to shout at the bar, fortunately, but I did buy the buy the boys a drink. So, and what did you win? Uh, I got a got a little bit of cash in the um in the daily comp. So, right enough to shout for for Risa. Well done, correct. That's yes, great, correct. Ben. That's <laughs> Thank so you. So good. Hey, hopefully, uh, you know, we're talking to you in a, in a few more weeks or months, and and there's another low round, lower hopefully. lower even than uh, fifty seven. Yeah. Are you going to back me in for a solid 87 tomorrow when I play? Oh, now please put that on social media. I want to know what you shoot next. That's actually a really good question. Ben, thanks so much, mate. You're a star. All good, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. All right, coming up next on the show, we've got our cherry pick guests. Looking forward to it. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. Two guests have been cherry-picked for this week after releasing a new book, Aussies at the Open, celebrating the 150th running of golf's oldest major this July. Welcome senior writer, PGA Australasia, Tony Wiebeck, and associate editor of the Australian Golf Digest, Steve Kuypert. Uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Thanks Mark. for having us. So tell us about this book and what was the uh, the impetus for you guys to put pen to paper and pick up the phone and, and interview a lot of Aussies? I think it all started when the RNA announced in 2020 that they were cancelling the championship that year and it kind of struck me that it would give us two years to do something on 
to coincide with the 150th, which is, of course, this year at St Andrews, I thought that was good timing for a book. And also, for me, being in golf, Steve and I have been in golf for more than 20 years each, and everyone you ever speak to that's played the Open has got a story. So we wanted to celebrate the history of Australians at the Open Championship, but we also wanted to uncover some of the unknown stories and the, the players that perhaps people didn't realise had played the Open and they share their stories as well. So it was... That was the impetus, and yeah, two years later, we're uh, we're out there selling it and trying to get people reading it. So, Steve, you've been in golf for so long. I mean, there must—I don't—I don't want you to give away all the best stories because you want people to go out and buy this book. It sounds like a ripper, but there must have been some amazing stories that really blew your hair back a bit. Yeah, definitely. And Tony and I have talked about this a few times. It's uh, it's often the guys that um, the players that people won't be familiar with that gave us some of the best stories, and we frequently commented how. The, the players who played only maybe one or two opens, their memories were razor sharp, even if it was years and decades later, because they only had that singular or, or maybe two opens to recall the memories from. Mm. And they could remember shots. They could remember people oh, they wow. saw, played with, places they stayed, just really intricate details uh, like it was yesterday. And, uh, look, everybody's open story is different. Um and, you know, that was our task really was to kind of uncover some of those stories that, you know, even the ones that the players themselves might not have thought were that interesting, um, we were able to kind of flesh out a few of them and, and come up with some amazing stories, so many away from the golf course too. That, that was probably the other thing. It wasn't so much about the blow-by-blow, blow. I hit five iron on the fourth hole and did this. It's It was the off-course stuff Um that is so unique to the Open as well. And I think we, we got a lot of those stories. So how many Australians have actually played at the Open and, and how many did you interview? And, and I believe including our very own Mark Allen. Yeah, that's right. Was- um, we, we came up with a base list with the RNA's help. Uh, they had some tremendous records on the Australians to have played uh, through the years, um, 192 Australian golfers wow. up until 2021 have competed in the Open. By our count, about 120 were still alive, um, and we managed to get hold of 102 out of those 120. <laughs> so it was it was a pretty good strike rate. And how long did Mark Allen's interview go for? Two minutes. Actually, Mark, Marco and I had a <laughs> we, we had a really good chat. Um, and you were quite early. You you were quite early on in the piece as well. If I Alph- alphabetical, and, um, Alan, straight <laughs> first. Well, yeah, well, but it almost was like that actually. I think. And um, we, we sort of initially had to focus on, with all due respect, Mark, um, the <laughs> golfers that we didn't think were going to play in 2021. Yeah. Um, we targeted those those guys first, um, just so that we weren't going to have to then chase up somebody. Um, and then once last year's Open was over last July, um, we were then able to kind of just get to everybody. But, yeah, um, Mark and I had a good chat and uh, actually some of some of your anecdotes are, are still stuck in, in memory, even though that was a good 18 months ago that we chatted. Uh, not to give everything away, but my Open appearance is what started my media career. So it was just I, I led the qualifying that year with uh, two other guys. Uh, so one was Michael C- uh, Campbell, went on the winner mm-hmm. US Open. Yeah. Another guy, a little amateur guy called Luke Donald, who ended up being the number one player in the world. Yeah. Here I am doing podcasts for Golf Australia. Anyway, that's Tell us about yours, though. Tell us about your uh, A little bit. I, I, just, I won't give it all away. I remember playing with the winner, John Vanderveld. We played nine holes together. Now, John Vanderveld used to come to a 
Australia. So I knew him reasonably well because you're paired together every once in a while and, you know, he was he was a really good fella. Anyway, uh, we finished our practice round. It was the first time I had a look around Carnoustie and that year it was a joke how hard it was. Um, anyway, uh, we finished our nine holes. My caddy and I said, see you later, John. And then as soon as he got out of his shop, we were looking at each other going, he's going to have thousands this week, absolutely thousands. I ended up having thousands. <laughs> anyway, I went AWOL for a little while. You know, I just – I don't want to know about golf. And, you know, we went around Scotland and had a bit of a look. Typical anyway, Mark Allen style. We flicked the TV on on the Sunday afternoon and we had a heart attack because <laughs> he was leading by about four shots on the back. We just we just couldn't believe it. So, look, I mean, the, uh, half the story, I reckon, guys, and I'll ask you, Tone, half the story – uh, you know, it's just where it's at, you know, because, you know, we have Australian Opens here. It's either in Sydney or it's in Melbourne or, you know, it used to be in Adelaide and Perth. But over there, they're tiny little towns, um, you know, around around Great Britain. So and a lot of what you've written must be about, you know, where where the players were. One of my favourite stories was Tom Linsky, who um, coaches up here on the Gold Coast now and played uh, played his played two Opens, 76 and 77. Um and they had no Turnbury in that '77. There's no accommodation. Mm. Like the the hotel is just that's where everyone stays. And <laughs> to get accommodation was a nightmare. And he ended up on this little miniature horse farm. Um, <laughs> what in the shed? Well, it was like this little um, heritage listed cottage at the back of this miniature horse farm. But the funny thing was, he had a spare room, and it was quite expensive. So his wife was like, "Can you find someone to come and stay with us?" Peter Thompson was staying an hour and a half away and was just mortified where he'd been put. So he ended up uh, shacking up with Tom Linsky and his wife for the week in this miniature horse farm. How good. Just outside of Turnbury. So they're the things to me that were were fun to kind of discuss and um, get to know. But to Marco, to your 99 appearance, that ended up being a chapter in its own right because just everyone who he spoke to that played in it had their own – Mm. story to share. Um, Peter Lonard was telling me he was driving back to London that afternoon. As you were tuning in, mm. he was driving to London and his manager said, you know, it's all over. Vanderbilt's just got to du- make double bogey at the last to win it. Yeah. And Pete said to him, you know, he said, oh, don't be so sure. That's not as easy as it sounds. Um, so, and sure enough that uh, what transpired took place. But yeah, just every time we talked to someone, there was another story to uncover for the next interview. So, Tony, what about uh, the great Greg Norman? How was he to interview or whoever interviewed him and, uh, and and what was the main stories that came out from Greg's mouth? Steve, I'll leave this one to you. Yeah, um, that was me um, about this time last year. Actually, I think it was – no, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was um, May last year as an aside because um, it was the week before Phil Mickelson won the PGA and Greg said to me, somebody over 50 is going to win a major soon. Um, and it just wow. happened to be the very next week. Um but, yeah, we had a good chat, um, you know, obviously covering particularly the two Opens that, that Greg won. Um, but obviously there were so many more. He lost another one in a playoff. He led another Open at age 53 going into the back nine. And um, he he had, you know, umpteen stories to tell about the years that um, he, he didn't win, um, let alone the ones that he did. One of the best was um, when he won the 86 Open in Turnbury, uh, his first one. He was friends with a Concorde pilot who actually came in uh, in the Concorde <laughs> l- low over the golf course, apparently a bit of an aviation no-no, um, but he, he did it anyway and just sort of, you know, 
put the afterburners on or the thrusters or whatever it is you do. Fly by just to say hello. Above the tower. <laughs> yeah, just, just right over the top of the golf course. So, um, yeah, and I, I hadn't heard that story before and um, there were a few little nuggets uh, as, as well from Greg. Um, his relationship with Nick Faldo, he, go, he went into a little bit more mm. um, and, um, you know, the way he celebrated um, each time, although he did say they were they were not huge, but um, there were a few little stories around that. So, yeah, Greg was actually quite generous with his time, which was terrific. I mean, and, and Ian Baker Finch as well. I mean, we've got four Australian winners uh, and two of them no longer with us. And so the two that are um, were quite integral to this book and both Greg and uh, Ian Baker Finch were, were very generous with their time. So I want to ask you about the one you didn't get, Steve Elkington. Well, yeah. what's, why wouldn't Steve take a call and be part of this? I, I am staggered. Yeah, and, and we tried him every which way. We know he's prolific on Twitter. We re- reached out to him there. Um, I, I reached out to his brother, Rob Elkington, who's obviously you know a terrific golfer in his own yeah. right and well-entrenched in the industry here. Um, he was really generous, gave me Steve's direct line. I must have called and texted you know dozens of times, um, reached out to Steve every which way we could, went through his previous management companies as well, but they'd sort of lost touch with him directly in terms of managing him and um, we just reached a point where we we figured okay he, he just doesn't want to be involved um, or you know well, we can't get hold of him we were still able to to draw some some quotes from elsewhere um, but we did our best throughout the book to not lean on um, quotes and and stories that were already out there but yeah for some of the players that we couldn't get hold of like Steve we had no choice because obviously he nearly won nearly won in 2002 yeah. I was going to say he was in a four-way playoff. playoff wasn't he at Muir yeah the, the only four-man playoff in the history of men's majors and he was one of the four maybe you um, know what it probably still burns and and everyone has their own their own backstory, their own reasons why. I wanted to ask you guys, what would you think, what, what is the general feeling amongst the players? Would they rather play it at the Open or the Masters? What was interesting for me, and you kind of forget, you know, just going before Marco's time, like back to Peter Senior and those guys, it was really hard to, like Peter Senior was a top 50 player in the world and yeah. couldn't get an invite to Augusta. So for those guys from the 70s and 80s, the, the Open was the one. Like, it was the one they could play. They've seen Tomo and Kel and these guys go and play and win. Norman von Nida, I think we – Steve and I probably understood his role in Australian golf, but maybe not the depth of it and his importance um, in getting Australians to, you know, encourage them to go to to Europe and mm-hmm. to Britain to play the Open. And so for so long, for so many of the guys we spoke to, it was, it was one or the other. But the younger guys today, would I think, would say Augusta. But for those guys who played in the 70s and 80s, it was, um, yeah, the Open was the one for sure. Hey, you just talked about trying to get into the Masters. What about Mike Harwood? Finished second, Dean Baker Finch, and he didn't get extended an invitation the following year. He came second at the Open, and the Masters wouldn't give him an invite. Just staggering. Did, did you talk to Mike at all? I mean, because yeah, he, he yeah, really we, featured um, in a lot of Opens. Yeah, and his sort of the bittersweetness of, Ian's win in 91, I guess, is really well encapsulated by, I guess, the emotions that Mike went through and being happy, I guess, that his fellow Australians had a win, but also coming to terms with his own disappointment. And, um, yeah, Mike as well was really generous and very open. And um, I'm not sure it made the final cut, but he did speak about his uh, disappointment in the Masters hierarchy, not extending an invitation mm-hmm. the year after. So, um, but yeah, but his the rawness with which he still spoke of, yeah, finishing runner-up to Finchie, um, 
Yeah, it was really powerful, actually. You're 17 in the world and came second in an Open, and he did get a Masters invitation. I still cannot comprehend that one. Well, look, we don't want to give too much away, guys, because we want people to go out and buy it. So tell us uh, where they can purchase this magnificent book, and uh, Aussies at the Open, and how much is it? Yeah, it's forty nine ninety five, including postage and handling, uh, and you can get it through the Australian Golf Digest website. So that's australiangolfdigest.com.au. There is a tag or an area on the website called the Pro Shop, which is where we um, sell various products, and a search for the book title, Aussies at the Open, in that Pro Shop page will take you to the right place to place an order. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, looking forward. I'm going to buy uh, buy one for my dad. So there you go. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to reading it too. Thanks you for appreciate having me. your time, guys. Um, Thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, Tony Wiebeck there and Steve Kuypert, magnificent. Looking forward to uh, having a look at that book. All right, we're going to have a break. And coming up after this is uh, Australian Golf Media Manager Martin Blake with all the news from around the traps. And it's now time for the Gazelle to join us, Martin. Great uh, news for Australian golf. The President's Cup is coming back to town after 2019. How good is that? How good is that, guys? I'll never forget 2019. It's one of the best experiences in golf that I've had in Melbourne at Royal Melbourne. Now, would they go back to Royal Melbourne? I mean, you can't really go wrong with Royal Melbourne, Marco. You cannot go wrong. The the fan experience is what is uh, all-encompassing of the PGA Tour these days. It's a big part of it. Uh, the people I talk to are sort of in the conversation. Um, uh, that is the number one thing as far as they're concerned. So potentially Kingswood, I mentioned this earlier, 36 holes for people who don't know much about it. Um, Stunning just sp- golf course. We just spoke to a lad who shot uh, 57 there. Don't let that... Uh, is that it, going it, to impact? No, it, it's, a, it's Look, a really tough course. I can tell you that they're all over it, Peninsula Kingswood. They've wanted a big tournament mm. for a long time because they've spent a lot of money on that, that mm. facility. It is an awesome yep. golf facility. Uh, they really want the President's Cup. And the fact that the state government of Victoria did not announce a venue yeah. means that they are a chance. I was told that Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne and Peninsula Kingswood are the three options. Uh, I still think that Royal Melbourne's, you know, the incumbent kind of thing. Uh, but Peninsula Kingswood would work well. Do you, do you think People would go. Surely they would go out of town that far. It's it's still part of Melbourne. Oh yeah, oh, they'd go at Frankston. Yeah, they, they they'd definitely go there. I'm not sure about the traffic on the way home. <laughs> I think that'd be an absolute nightmare. But that's a different. Uh, you know, they probably don't worry about that sort of stuff. Well, we know obviously what Royal Melbourne, what what they what it offers. In fact, we know it all three. But for for the other two to be chosen, what would they have to do? What what in particular? Well, I don't think Kingston Heath, if they are interested, Marco, you're a member there. Do yeah. you think they're interested? Yeah, they're interested, but I just... They don't have enough room. If, if what Everyone around the country who came to Royal Melbourne in 2019 saw what they need. I mean, the amount of room required yeah. the car park is mind-boggling. Yeah. So the it's, car park, it's car like. parking, TV compound, merchandising areas, uh, fan engagement areas. Room for a crowd that size to actually move. Mm. You've got to remember. You're looking at 40,000, aren't yeah, yeah, there's only like three or four. There's only what like four groups on the Sunday. So, I mean, there's 30,000 people through the gates following four groups. I mean, you know. And when the you, crowds when you, were huge. When you see a big crowd following one group, if there's 5,000 people on the telly, it feels like there's 25,000 yeah. people yeah. following. So uh, to me, Royal Melbourne is an absolute no-brainer. And, and good luck to Peninsula. I hope they get an Australian Open one day or a Vic Open or you know whatever a big tournament comes back. Let's take it down there. Mm. But something where you're going to get 40,000 people per day, um, I just don't think it's capable. Now, Cam Smith missed a cut. 
on the weekend. He doesn't miss too many. That is news. He's just having a bit of a downer. He probably just needs a bit of a I looked break. it up. I think he missed three last season in a whole year. So uh, he doesn't miss many cuts, Cam Smith. I guess he's having a bit of a downer after. He missed after Hawaii, know. didn't he? Wasn't yeah, that's right. He yeah. did miss one earlier in the year. So it looked, to me, it felt to me like a long time since he missed a cut. It's not as long as I thought, but uh, unusual, unusual for him. Yeah. Yeah, in those situations. Um, so we've won, he's won the players. He's, yeah. won, he's won the uh, you know the century tournament of champions, and he's finished uh, third in the Masters. Yeah, he just had a doubt. He's just took a lot of mental. What, what happened? I, I, I can only imagine you, you lose the Masters the way that he kind of lost the Masters and ended up not coming second, coming third or something. Third. Yeah, I reckon he'd wake up the next day and you would be a zonk. Yeah, absolutely. Your Monday's gone. Forget about Monday. Maybe even it, Tuesday. It is gone. Tuesday, you've probably still got a headache. Yeah. Wednesday, you play nine holes at Harbortown and then you're back into it. I mean, it would it would have felt like a blink of the eye from when that last putt dropped on the 72nd hole to him actually hitting his first drive on Thursday. He just, you're just not mentally prepared. So he and Mark Leishman are defending their championship at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans this week. So yeah, I, hope really like I hope this. he's back on for that one. I think he loves playing team sport. He's a, mm. you yeah. know, he's a very personable guy. So um, that'll be on uh, this week. Uh, did you catch anything of Dylan Fratelli, the South this African? This is the most bizarre little piece of rules so stuff that I've seen for a while. Check it out on, on Twitter. It's on social media. It is incredible. When I first switched it on and, and was watching it, I was like, Where the, where's the ball? It's in the tree. Tree moss, they call it. So it's the sort of a gobbledygook that hangs down from certain trees. And, it's and the, ball the ball wedged in there, but it was hittable because it was only about, I've got to say, two and a half metres Above yeah. the ground, so he stands there and whacks it yeah. on the green. He's beside the green and hits it on the green. If you haven't seen it, well, hits it on the fairway. It's an incredible yeah. uh, recovery. Um, makes par by Dylan Fratelli. Yeah. Makes his par, and then he's penalised two shots. Now, Marco, you've done. Have you done some some digging around this yeah, rule, rule ten point one C? Oh, I, I couldn't actually believe what the story was because it looked like a reasonable thing to do in that situation. I mean, the ball's above his head. It's not like he's straddling the line of the ball. I mean, it's above his head. So when you go back and have a look in nineteen sixty eight. Um, Sam Sneed got the yips. He started putting croquet style, so between the legs. Um, didn't like that, did they? No, they didn't like it. He started playing well. He, he had some reasonable finishes with putting that way. They said you can't straddle the line, so you can't have one foot either side whether the ball's – so he went, then he went side settle. And he actually played pretty well playing side settle because they made this rule. And, and back in those days, the rule only applied to putting. Now, with all the new rules that have gone on, they've taken the putting bit out. And it actually says when you look in the new rules today, you can, you just cannot. Now, uh, the only time you can is if you're trying to stand on over somebody's line. You don't want to step on their line on the putt. You can do it that then. Oh, yeah. And there's another one where it says accidental. So I imagine the accidental is when you completely shank one or hit it off the toe and it goes at right angles oh. to where you're standing. And then, you know, technically you're standing astride of the line of the ball, the way the ball went. But I, I don't think there's any need for this rule to be in place. So if, if they kept it the way it was originally written, because that sort of stuff's great for golf. Have you, he, ever, so seen, have you ever seen two, anything two like strikes. that? Yeah, you got a two-shot penalty. Ended up finishing right. outside the top 60. I've, I've seen a lot of pros actually hit the ball between their legs with one hand. Yeah, you know, You're that. in the trees, they're one, hand, one side, they're, and they tap it. Now, you can't do that anymore. Is, 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 is 
with the way the new rule is written. So, look, I, I think it should just be for putts. It should have been just what it's for used for at the very start with the Sam Snead situation. It's been changed along the way, and some astute rules person has knocked it on the head. Uh, women's golf. Um, Hannah Green was put herself in a she led position. Through, yeah, yeah, yeah. She led through the first round, then fell. Right away, and Karis Davidson, who you mentioned earlier was on debut, ended up mm. missing the cut by a few. Um, so Sarah Kemp also played quite nicely, and I think uh, the LA Open this week on the LPGA Tour, which Minji Lee won in 2019, so I'm sure she'll be out there trying trying to win. Uh, you, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, just on Hannah Green, um, I keep on seeing a lot of people putting her golf swing on social media with the comments saying, my new favourite swing. All right. So we've got a couple because nice. Minji Lee, when you watch Minji Lee swing the golf club, it is awesome. one of the most pure golf swings we'll ever see. And now when you get Hannah Green, you know, being posted an awful lot, you know, people actually going to watch Hannah Green hit the ball, <laughs> it says a lot about, you know, her new status in the world Absolutely. of golf. So I think they do They do anonymous surveys of other players. Yeah. And a few years ago, Minji came back as having the best yeah. swing. Actually, Hyoju Kim, who won the, the event in Hawaii at the weekend, if you have a look at her swing, that is a golf swing. Uh, uh, but Minji's got a great swing. And Hannah, uh, you know, she comes back at the end of each season. She's sitting at 15 metres further every year. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the common factor with Minji Lee and Hannah Green? Uh, both, both from Perth. Co- both yes. coached by Richie Smith, ah, who also good. coaches Min Woo Lee. Yes. So he's one of the best coaches in the world now. And New and South I think they're, getting, they're both getting help from uh, Brett Rumford as well, the greatest short game exponent in the history of the world. Universe. Well, according to the people go. over in Perth, anyway. Best he's, bunker player ever. Well, that's, from de- you. that's debatable. <laughs> New South Wales won the Junior Interstate Series in South Australia during the week. Uh, they've got a great team, New South Wales. So they, they had the men's, the girls and the boys together this year so that the overall title went to New South Wales. The boys' title went to New South Wales and the WA won oh, the girls. That's a fantastic way of doing business these days because mm-hmm. once upon a time it was just the, the fellas playing and the girls would play the week after. No, but it's to have together. The men, what a fantastic... Yep. How long That's the way we're moving for? forward. It's the way it very, should be. very good. First time. Yeah. Oh, sensational. Yeah, I think it's meant to be as part of the overall strategy of golf. And that t- we're, the we're TPS together. we saw, yeah. yeah Isn't that brilliant? Yep. Well done. Uh, the Queensland Open is postponed till 2023. That's it's sort of disappointing, I guess. But mm. Pelican Waters, where they've got a locked-in deal to play it, uh, is doing a redevelopment and the, the facility's not going to be ready. So they just pushed it back to 2023. Uh, won't be able to play it this year. No worries. Fair. What about Ryan Ruffles? Uh, nice that to see him That is the first back. time I've seen him bob up for a while on the Corn Ferry Tour, finished inside the top 20. That boy, Tiff, is very talented. Um, I mean, he was a world junior champion. He He's had a rough time as a pro, to be perfectly honest. He's had injuries in the last 12 months. Great to see him playing well, so well we again. S- we have to get him on the show. We saw, Well, we had Tony Wiebeck on, and he uh, he posted about him saying, uh, is he on his way back? Mm. Can I give you my Ryan Ruffles story just quickly? Yeah. I played with him in the uh, Master of the Amateurs uh, Pro-Am, or the Am-Pro is what they call it. He was uh, 14 years old. We played the West Course, and he shot 65 as a 14-year-old. Oh, wow. It was wow. just incredible. and. The low, I mean, I'm, I'm starting, yeah, we were talking to Ben before, maybe about not knowing where he was. 
I had the count. Like I forgot where he was, uh, and towards the end, it, it just didn't ru- didn't ruffle him. It, he just actually kept on hitting brilliant shots. He's just fourteen years old. He's a young like guy it. who had big expectations on him because of things yep. like that. Uh, he very quickly got a strong management company who got him starts on the USPJ tour. Yep. So he tried to play himself onto the main tour. He made some cuts, but he didn't get his uh, card. All of a sudden, he had nowhere to play. Uh, he got injuries. Yeah. He didn't know where he was hitting it. We had him on the forerunner of this show, Inside the Ropes, about two years ago, and he said he did not know where the ball was going. Yeah. Uh, left, Hard right, centre, you know, army golf. So uh, he's had a rough How time. He? He's only 23, so, um, you know, mm. plenty of time. Of him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. We all know that uh, might have gone a little bit early because you don't get those invites onto the big tour uh, a second time. Not many people get that luxury. Well, great work by you, Blakey. Thank you very much. We'll, have, we'll uh, check in again next week. And we've got Marco's Masterclass right after this. Marco, what have you got for us this week? Well, it's on that crazy uh, pre-shot routine that we saw Jordan Spieth there. Now, if, if you have a history of hitting thousands and thousands of golf balls as a kid, um, what happens if you're trying to change your swing, if you just try and change it a little bit, when you go back and have a look at the video, nothing looks like it's changed. It's because your swing is ingrained in what you do. Even if you feel like you're taking the club straight back, you go back on video and you have a look and you go, hang on a second, it hasn't even moved. So what Jordan Spieth is doing, he is exaggerating what he's trying to do. Now, if you are the sort of person who goes down the driving range and uses your iPhone to check your swing, just try this. If you're, try, if you're working on taking the club inside, if you're walking out straight back, what, whatever it might be, exaggerate it and then go back and check. And you'll find that the exaggeration, you know, it might feel like you're trying to move it six inches in a different way. You look back on the camera and it only goes one inch. So exaggeration is the key to change in the game of golf if you've been hitting thousands and thousands of balls as a kid. Well, we'll send this to Jordan and uh, and see what he thinks as well. Jordan knows what he's doing. <laughs> Jordan knows this exactly what he's doing. Uh, anyway, we'll catch you next catch week. Catch you next week.